Hey, this is Robbie Shaw. This is Patrick Balsley. And I'm Sam Hampson. And this is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. My advice to you is to start drinking heavily. Just square. Everybody who's anybody drinks. Here's the game plan. You're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them, straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then two more after that, every five minutes until one of us passes out. Only promise me one thing. Don't take me home until I'm drunk. Until I'm very drunk indeed. As we delve into this podcast and, and the and the topic of normalization, I mean, there it is. You know, it's it's not only in our entertainment, but it is a depiction of reality through entertainment. It's all consuming and it's all everywhere. Like, it's just what we do. And if you don't drink or if alcohol is not present in your life, like, that's abnormal. Because the normal is to drink and consume alcohol or to talk about it or to be around it, have events, be surrounded by it. It's just so ingrained. Yeah, and and joke about it. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've caught people joking about drinking when they don't drink to the extent that they're joking about it. Like, why are you making the joke? <laughs> like, you're, it's so ingrained that you're talking about going home and crushing beers, and you might not even do that, but you just talked about it. It's bizarre. Yeah. A really fascinating aspect of, of, of the normalization piece is, is in the – the business realm. I think a lot about people who are in sales uh, roles and do the majority of their relationship building, you know, outside of the office. And so any kind of social event, you know, that's where they get to know somebody and you get to joke and jive and I'll call you tomorrow and we'll work it. We'll work through it tomorrow. And, And if you don't drink, if you don't participate in that, do you make less money? Do can you not yes. fulfill your responsibilities? The answer is in that yes, role? absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. is that that's scary? It, yeah, no, it's a yeah, scary, but right? I mean, it, 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 I mean, alcohol serves its purpose in that in that role. It's a social lubricant. You know, I'm going to be able to, you know, I'm a better salesman when I got two drinks in me, yeah. or when you've got two drinks in you, and I yeah. can sell to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Same, yeah, same works both ways. But then, you know, what happens after the deal is done? It's the weirdest thing to me that we don't talk about alcohol use like we talk about everything else. Like, it's just not in this realm of, it's not really in wellness, it's not really in physical health. Like, it's more in this social, like, hobby thing. Like, it's like just a thing we do versus all the conversations that my age group or my peer group is into, which is, like, less carbs, more kale, green juice, like, all this wellness kind of stuff. And alcohol's never brought up and i'm always like in the back like wanting to raise my hand being like what about your vodka yeah what about the poison (laughs) (laughs) and we are all people me and my friend group are all people who do consume alcohol so it's just strange to me that we always talk around it we always talk with it in our hand and we never talk about it Mm -hmm. we should come up with some type of like organic juice company that makes alcoholic beverages (laughs) You know, or open a yeah. Open a, they, they would open sell a, ju- a juice they, bar. They would absolutely sell. It stays open at night. So that's interesting, though, because then it is introduced into the wellness realm when it's being like pushed. So, like, wine yeah. is good for you because antioxidants. That's, so, like, we do talk about it when trick. it has wellness or health benefits. Quote unquote. The, these are air quotes for everyone listening. Mm-hmm. Health benefits. We do include it in the conversation, but. What about all the other stuff? It's so crazy how like the, the the marketing world has it's almost like this bait and switch type deal where they've coupled alcohol with all these new healthy activities. It's like they yeah. they piggybacked off the wellness movement to make sure they weren't left out. And they've done a really good job of, of doing that. Hydrate after yoga with a beer yeah, at the brewery. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you go run a five or ten K, mm-hmm. there's kegs at the end. I love the discussion of of the wellness piece, but excluding alcohol. Yeah, I, mean, I just think that is such an interesting topic because it just constantly gets 
gets reintroduced. You know, like you said, the no car, the less carbs, no kale. I've got anxiety. I am overweight. I've got depression. I've got this. I've got that. But I'm not gonna look at alcohol. I'm gonna look at everything else. It's like but holistic I'm, health minus what I put in my body in liquid form. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'll look at sure. I'll look at the alcohol, but. I'm going to figure out all the ways to make it fit. Yeah, we're going to see if it works without excluding that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking the other day about like um, how companies do wellness retreats or they do team building things, and they usually involve alcohol. Hmm. And so there's like even this promotion of the idea that like you kind of need that lubricant to be able to bond, connect in a different way than we do in the workplace. And it's not like in a vulnerability realm of like really get to know each other at <laughs> yeah. a, you know <laughs> organic level. It's like get to know each other yeah. at a let's get hammered at an intoxicated level. It's just so interesting as someone who does drink. I'm 29. I do drink moderately. My fiance drinks moderately. My family all drink. Like no one ever talks about their drinking, but we all drink all the time when we are talking. (laughs) Yeah. About our drinking. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. Use the example of food. And if we're all sitting around having a nice dinner, we're going to talk about the food. Oh, yeah. Some people will even make fun of how much they eat. Some people, oh, I shouldn't eat this, but I'm going to. Yeah. Like, we're not doing that with the alcohol. Yeah. I am elated about our, our guest today to kind of kick things off, man. I mean, this this guy, this guy, I was made aware of, of Rich Jones probably... I don't know, three or four years ago, I happened to stumble upon him on Facebook, and, you know, he comes from the clinical world, Um, he's got a clinical background, he does identify as a person in recovery, so that's what originally pulled, you know, kind of resonated with me, but this dude was talking outside of the box and was taking a more of health and wellness Mm -hmm. approach towards, you know, more severe alcohol use. And um, it was something that was not being talked about in in my you know field, and there was something very refreshing about this, and and it felt like some of the conversations that you know he would suggest um, made a lot of sense for people that were you know ready to kind of take a look at at their alcohol use. Since Robbie talked about this podcast and, and it kind of materialized you know I was thinking like this is the perfect guy to interview because he has his hands in so many different things around the health and wellness field um, I feel looks at this through an altruistic lens I mean the guy wants to make people's lives better yeah you know ever, ever since you told me uh, about rich Jones, I've obviously done my my little bit of research and 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 just in seeing his content and the things he puts out there uh, and the work he does, obviously it, it, he just falls right in line with that prevention piece mm-hmm. and, and the prevention and I always want to make this clear where we three and rich work, we work with people that that are more on the severe end of the spectrum but we're constantly working at and thinking about and, and, and assessing how to prevent that. Mm-hmm. How do we prevent people from getting to that place? And therein lies, I think, the biggest question mark. And so having him on to talk about, you know, the gray area is just, I, I can't wait. <laughs> You know, early on, I was talking to my co-host here, Patrick, and Patrick said, man, we got to get Rich Jones. We got to get Rich Jones. And here we are with Rich Jones. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. I am the CEO of uh, Favor Greenville. Favor stands for Faces and Voices of Recovery. We're a, a nonprofit organization that serves about 45,000 folks across South Carolina. It's, um, it's a non-clinical level of service. So picture recovery coaching, family recovery coaching, intervention services, Anything and everything related to the community, uh, it, the, the business model is kind of interesting. We raise money and then we do the services for free. So that that wow. is a very exciting uh, kind of model. And then the secondary thing that I have going on right now is I'm the co-founder of an online learning management program called U-Turn. And U-Turn provides early intervention, education, prevention around mental health and substance use disorders. So we're 
we're kind of focused on the upstream interventions. Our goal are like, let's get to folks before this becomes, you know, before I get a DUI, before I drive the car into a tree, all of the above, right? So um, it's, it's the country's largest library of therapist-led um, video content. So picture like four or five minute videos covering everything from the progression to anxiety, to depression, to stress management. And then I also own an EAP company. Uh, it's called Wellness Partners Group. It's one of your more traditional employee assistance programs working in the corporate environment. I'm a clinician. I've been at it for about 20 years and I've been in recovery for about 20 years. I'm a recovery from an opioid use disorder and an alcohol use disorder. So, so that's me. Gotcha. Wow, man, that is extremely admirable. You got a lot of stokes in the fire. Very excited to have you here. So thanks for participating. Thank you. We'd love to hear if, if you're open to it, uh, which I assume you, you are a little about your story. What got you here? Yeah, man. So I come out of a, you know, my story is pretty traditional in terms of like start drinking at a young age. I come out of a household that I didn't know it at the time, but you know, there's a, there's binge drinking going on. My father is struggling, very unpredictable. He could be a violent guy when he drank, you know, men and, and anger, that kind of thing that defined my childhood. Played a lot of sports and that kept me out of trouble. I had a, a football scholarship and a baseball scholarship after I lost the football scholarship. So I was that kind of guy that like could get by. Uh, but alcohol entered my life probably around the age of 14 or 15. It just was a non-issue, man. It was just underage drinking was not a big deal. And I never really thought twice about it. I just kind of did my thing. Uh, I went to college and my undergraduate degrees in business management. I was going to work in the business world and I have a lot of like entrepreneurs in my family. So that was going to be the, the path I took. In 1999, I was in a car accident and I started to get prescribed opioids. And I'm going to tell you, man, like I have strong opinions on, on the opioid epidemic and on opioids in general, but I believe there are some of us that it's a match made in heaven. And that's how it was with me and opioids. Me, yeah. <laughs> me too. Yeah, yeah. Good company. I mean, and, and, if, and if you don't get that, you don't get that. Like I say that to my wife all the time. Like she says, how could you have gotten into these pills? All they do is make me want to pass out and sleep. How can For you me, not? man, it was like euphoria. It was energy. I remember taking those pills and being like, I'm taking these, these mothers the rest of my life. I'm taking these and, and, and then realizing that there weren't enough of them. I remember being terrified when I realized there wasn't enough of these starting to get sick. Right. And everything that goes along with that. Yeah. I didn't know. I mean, this was a different world in 1999. You, it was all doctor shopping and, and you, I didn't really know how to buy pills from the street. So, I mean, I just, I rolled up a hell of a lot of debt. We went bankrupt. It gets expensive to pay for paper prescriptions out of pocket. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, by 2001, I'm in recovery. By 2001, I'm in, and, it, and I didn't get it the first time, right? It's, so my clean date is 2-14-02, or my, my recovery date, if you will, 2-14-02. How romantic. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know. I, we joke about that all the time. We didn't even know that it was like Valentine's Day. It's like there was no love in the house, man. And, uh, well, and, and, and I, it's interesting, like I define my recovery process. I mean, I would put together periods of time and then I would fall off and I would put together periods of time and I would fall off. I finally got it February 14th, 2002. But, but I'm telling you, like all those experiences I had up to that point, you know what I mean? Like that is part of my journey and part of my process. And, and so we go out of our way to talk about that. We want people to understand that that's how this works. It isn't like one day you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm in recovery now and I'm going to be good to go. And that was absolutely how it was with me. Um, you know, it got worse in recovery before it got better. It was brutal. My wife and I split up, you know, and all the noise that goes along with that. And in my case, what happened was I stumbled into the right type of 12-step group. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you for your openness on that. Those stories are so helpful. You know, we're we're really honing in on on the normalization of alcohol consumption in our, you know, I'd like to say world, but you know, we can kind of hone it in on on American society, but what are your thoughts on on some of the contributing factors to to the normalization of alcohol in our uh, cultures? So, well, the first thing I would say is is the media. I, I would say that it's just 
it's promoted that that's how you have fun. That's how you, that's how you relax, right? So there's this messaging um, and it starts when we're young, you know, and it's unconscious and it's just how like the psychology of marketing works, you know, that drinking is fun, right? That drinking is how you, how you have a good successful life. And, um, you know, jokingly, the commercials, you know, never look like reality, but that's, that's what we think is going to happen. We go out with our friends, you dance a little bit, you hang out, that kind of thing, and you have a good time. And I don't think that we're aware of how, how ubiquitous those advertisements are and how, how ubiquitous that messaging is. Yeah. So that there's this underlying current and effort to normalize it. The second thing is it is, it is absolutely institutionalized. Mm-hmm. It's think about it. It's part from a sociological perspective. It's part of it's how we mark milestones in our life. Right. Right. At a wedding, we drink at a funeral. We drink. I got promoted. We drink. And, and it doesn't mean we drink problematically. That's just what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think, I don't think we even really fully grasp how normalized it is and how institutionalized I would go beyond the word normalized to the word like institutionalized at favor Greenville at the nonprofit. One of the biggest challenges we have when it comes to raising money is that we don't serve alcohol. Right. Yeah, that says if something. We served alcohol. Oh, you'd done it. Yeah. I mean, I would get so much money from people because yeah. I mean, I've done that. I know what that's like. And you know, when somebody's tuned up a little bit, and you're like, yeah, this is a great, like, we oh, saved the puppies, man. We saved, saved the, the world. Yeah. yeah. Here's 10 grand. <laughs> Save some puppies. I mean, dude, if we did, if we served, if you did a favor Greenville event and, and we served alcohol, man, that would be next level stuff right <laughs> there. <laughs> I think too, when but, you look at it, there's really no examples of how you do those things without alcohol. Like I remember when I removed alcohol from my life for a period of about two years, and I had never seen any examples of um, something that I was going to do, but without alcohol. For example, my best friend's bachelorette party. I had never seen an example of someone doing that sober. And so I just didn't know what it would look like to be the only girl there not drinking. Right. No examples of it anywhere. I don't see examples on TV or in movies or whatever of a girl being like, oh, no, I actually don't drink and like still getting up and dancing on the bar with their friends. Right. You see some effort at it. There there are some things going on now. You You do see some movements. And I think that there are some interesting things happening. I just feel like it's a drop in the bucket. You know what I mean? Like it's so... Yeah, okay, we do have some movements, sober curious, things like that. But that's so little and so... Um, it's not really making an impact. Or it's uh, noticed by people in recovery only. Rob, right. That, yeah, that's another thing. Absolutely. Robbie, you should start a company to put on um, sober um, bachelorette party events. <laughs> oh, wow. That is a great idea. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to you know counter it with making it more raunchy than it would be <laughs> with alcohol. Yeah, it's a fantastic <laughs> idea. <laughs> so rich i just want to ask one more question on 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 that you know what are, what are your ideas on you know when media and marketing and, and institutionalized uh you know come to mind i mean it almost sounds like it's being controlled by the people with power and money and the people who are coming in and trying to disrupt that that revenue flow you know we're going to block those people out i mean how true do you think some of that is I think it's absolutely true. I mean, I think it'd be so naive to think that big alcohol or whatever label you want to put on it is, you know, going to, I guess they're going to promote uh, responsible drinking by that little tagline at the end, drink responsibly, but, but absolutely not. Like it's a big lobby. It's a huge industry. It's uh, it's controlled by a few players. You know what I'm saying? Like there are a few players that own most of the products and it and and again, if you think about how advertising works, the messaging is you're not good enough. And if you had this thing, you would be feeling a little bit better about yourself. Yeah. Well, the thing is alcohol. And and I, I don't I mean, I don't think there's any type of regulation that can change that. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything that media could do in a formal way. I think it's our societal response has to be different. It, it's. It has to be this wellness oriented and it's almost like talking about alcohol is casual. If it, if it gets to a point where 
you know, again, it's the cookies, it's gambling, it's shopping too much. It's anything that you're doing that's that you're not living uh, congruent with, with the way you want to live, right? And so alcohol can be part of that conversation. What, one of the wild things is when we go try to sell this product, we have to be very, like when we try to sell U-turn, like into companies and stuff, we have to be very careful how we even talk about it because we will offend the people that are buying it. If, if, because they drink <laughs> and, and, and they don't want to hear like, don't drink. Yeah. So you have to, that's the wellness angle. I don't, I don't know that we've definitely figured out how to message that just yet as a society, but, but that's where it'll come in. So Rich, what are some of the things like when, when we talk about this kind of gray area group or the, the population in the middle, cause that's where, uh, you know, a lot of our, our listeners are, are going to be tuning in from that spot of, you know, they drink a little bit, but they may not see any issues with it and may not feel like it has any type of negative impact on their life. What are some of the questions that, that, you think are appropriate for people to start asking themselves if they're kind of, you know, in that, I don't want to use the term sober curious, but I'm going to, um, but they actually really want to start taking an honest look at, at their drinking. There are, believe it or not, there are like some guidelines and things that people can look at. So, and, and there's even controversy in this area. So there's a lot of new literature and a lot of, a lot of push around this idea that any amount of alcohol is 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 unhealthy like that's what people will say that's a new kind of vibe but if you move away from that and you look at what the federal government has put out they talk about 15 drinks per week if you're a man 15 drinks per week and no more than five drinks on any one occasion now i got that done by monday morning but anyway you know what i mean like i i i uh, i exceeded those expectations but for a lot of people that that's a guideline where they can say like is Here's how that argument goes. If you drink at above that level for an extended period of time, you're going to suffer physical consequences. It has nothing to do with the, the term alcohol addiction or alcohol use disorder. You will suffer uh, high blood pressure. You'll, you'll increase your risk for cancer. You'll increase your risk for uh, other heart disease. That type of stuff sometimes is, is a place to start with folks. You know, Do you understand just the straight up physical impact of continuing to drink like that. And for women, it's, it's seven and two. They only get seven uh, per week and, and more than two on any given occasion, which I just think is tragic, right? That is, that is totally unfair, totally unfair. I don't get this. So what I think we have to do is take it out of the hands of the drug and alcohol system. And it needs to be more of a wellness oriented, healthy lifestyle. Your doctors should be talking to you about it. Nurses should be talking about it. Um, Literally, I, I, to, I totally believe it. it's like physical trainers, people who are into like physical fitness should be talking about it. We got to get it out of the jurisdiction of the drug and alcohol industry because it doesn't belong to the drug and alcohol industry. Right. They, they do what they do. And I'll be honest with you, they do it well. There are a lot of places that do it well. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I had a loved one that needed to go to rehab, right? I was really glad that there was a high quality rehab that I knew of. You, you follow me? Like it had progressed to that point, but they don't do the stuff in the middle. Well, first of all, they don't do it at all. Right. And they certainly don't do it well. So that's really what yeah. the challenge is. You have to redefine it. It's a brand new thing in my mind. Yeah. So I know, I mean, this is something that, that I obsess over. I, I know you do too. How, how do you think, the, what, what does that look like in your mind? I, I think it's podcasts like this. And I think we're, I think we're really early and we have to, we have to get realistic on how long it's going to take. Cause, and I think that we have to, I don't want to say this. We have to understand what we're trying to do. We're not trying to improve a system and we're not trying to tweak it a little bit. We're trying to totally disrupt it and redefine it and develop a brand new paradigm. Right. And that takes time. That, that, that takes a little bit of time, but you got to start the conversation and, um, you have to beat the drum and then ultimately you have to have new funding streams come up behind it. Like the, if I had a magic wand, it would be like blue cross blue shield or Medicaid or whatever they paid for this other thing. Right. But, but we're, you know, we got some distance between now and then. So you got, you got to figure out how to, how do you get in there and who wants to hear this? So I'll give you an example with U-turn. So U-turn was developed to get into the corporate space. So we were, how do we reach people? How do we even start the conversation? 
what we found was if we went to corporations and we framed it up as risk mitigation. So picture me in the office with the CEO or with the lead counsel from a you know, Fortune 1000 company. And basically we're saying like people are getting sued. Companies are getting sued because your culture promotes drinking. And we have all these different Google paid out like $221 million for this. They, there was an event there. It was a, it was a party. It was like a frat party at Google and some bad stuff happened and they wound up getting sued. So there's case precedent. So we're like, this is a risk mitigation issue, guys. You have to train your employees on, on the appropriate use of alcohol. That type of conversation, Patrick is starting to get some, yeah. and it appeals to their bottom line. They're not altruistic and all of a sudden like, Oh yes, we care about our employees so much that we want to, they're like, oh man, I'm, we're going to get sued if we don't. And that type of stuff, there's some hope there because now you're coming in through the side window rather than the front door. You know what I mean? You're finding a new way to get into the conversation. Yeah. yeah I love that idea of just speaking their language and taking it out of maybe the lanes that we've always expected it to be in. And it just hasn't been effective. And, you know, it's not in the treatment realm necessarily. And it's certainly not in the alcohol and drug sales kind of realm. Like they tell you to drink responsibly period. Mm-hmm. Right. At the bottom. Yeah. Of the and that's where their, their responsibility ends. Right. And where please drink responsibly, please, please drink responsibly. You know, you've got to <laughs> on Instagram to get on this page to 21. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> great. You know, be like me and Patrick are sitting, we're sitting at the, on the couch, we're watching TV, we're getting ready to start pregame. And, and this commercial comes on and says, please drink responsibly. And I look at Patrick and say, ah, dude, we better take it easy. You know what? <laughs> I was about so to do funny. that shot of tequila. <laughs> But we should take it easy. We better listen to the TV. Bud Light says, drink responsibly. We were about to We do better that. listen to the TV. Do you think, Rich, that there's any ways that we have progressed in the U.S. around alcohol use, alcohol education, obviously outside, outside of your own efforts with U-Turn? Do you think that there's progression that you see? No, I think it sucks. And I think that, I, I think that it's not even close. And, and I feel like we have these pockets where people are really trying to do some things different. But I think that like, we still have the old guard in charge. Yeah. So if you look at solving this problem, it's still the same old mentality and the same old folks that are talking, you know, at the national level and at the policy level, at the reimbursement level, there's really not a lot of progress been made. There's, there's probably more progress around the advocacy and that at least we're talking about it. I will say that like, at least we're talking about it, but, but nothing has really shifted in terms of, of actually operationalizing these things. So I, I will share this, I, I, just to put a bow on this idea of, can you get into the conversation from a wellness angle? Um, there's a company, and I can't go into the details, but there's a company that was sued, a local company that was sued because their son, this is how it went down. There was, it was a 25-year-old he went off to rehab. Now he had a problem with opioids uh, and he went to rehab and he got sober for lack of a better term and, and was doing really well, came back, went to work at this company and re- wound up relapsing, overdosing and dying. The plaintiff, the, the, the lawsuit says that the company culture promoted his use because going out on, on Friday night for happy hour, going out and, and just pounding beers promoted his use and the lawsuit has legs guys it's it's yeah i'm involved as a quote-unquote expert witness if you will but the the lawsuit has legs there's something there can you guys see that like that's a big deal yeah and and the company has no way to prove whether they do or whether they don't like they say they say we have an eap but if you know anything about an eap that's a counselor that you hide in the closet you literally hide rich in the closet and, and, and you say, go see him if you, need, if you need some help. So that type of thing, this podcast and folks like U-Turn, like we're, get, we're ahead of the curve. Like we're getting in early. But if those type of lawsuits start to happen, you know that, that, that it'll be motivated by bottom line, but they're going to need some other type of an answer. They're going to need some other type of solution. That's incredible. It's so interesting being in this field. My fiance had interviewed a while back with different companies um, here in Charlotte. And I, you know, just being, doing what I do, being an addiction specialist and watching 
that process of, you know, mid twenties, someone interviewing for cool companies, right. And the third round interview is happy hour. It is. How about that? And you know, the, the whole kind of presentation of why this is somewhere awesome to work is because there's a bar cart and, you know, anyone can drink at any point throughout the day. And as long as you get your work done, as long as you drink responsibly, right. You're part of our culture. And then there's no real discussion around what that looks like. And just that that is in the promotion of somewhere that you would want to work. And we want to see how you interact with our people when you're at a bar at happy hour, because this is what we're trying to create. And it's more than a company. It's a family. And oh, by the way, family drinks together on Friday at four. Oh yeah. Yep. And, and, and the other thing is, is that I don't want to say this. If we go out and get hammered on Friday, even though I hate you Monday through Friday, I'm cool with you on Friday evening. Like it also makes all the interactions easier. You know what I'm saying? It's like, like you're not going to have a let's go out to coffee happy hour because at the end of the day, I really don't like y'all very much anyway. So, and, 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 and this coffee, this coffee isn't helping me with that. It's actually agitating me a little bit. (laughs) Alcohol serves an unbelievably unique purpose in our culture. It gets business done. Oh man! It you know, you know a social lubricant. It's not going to go away. It's not going to. We have got to adjust our approach. We've got to figure out another way. So that that leads me to, and that is exactly where my head was going in this conversation. Is, you know, I'm thinking about the people who are in this gray area who might not have many or any consequences. So when we talk about, you know, prevention, education, how we're going to get through to these people, what are we getting through to them? Uh, you know, is it a, um, uh, you know, fear-based? Is it this could happen? Is it this is bad for you? Is it a wellness thing? And, and if it is those things, the nature of alcohol is going to get you to butt heads with that information. Yeah. You're going to protect your usage because of what everything you just said, because it does have value. It, it is effective. Rob, it's a great question. And it, it really is. This is the uh, code that needs cracked and nobody knows exactly how to do it. So I, I put out a Facebook video probably about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, maybe longer than that. And on moderation management. And I said, I can teach you to drink responsibly. Holy crap. You, you should have saw, like, it was like I had just torn asunder the very <laughs> fabric of America. I put in that video, very, very straightforward conversation around, it's okay to talk about this. We, you should be able to go see a counselor to process this stuff. You should be able to come in, in, it should be routine that you can walk into any drug and alcohol clinic and say, my goal is to drink less right. and not quit. And but for whatever reason, I think reimbursement has a lot to do with it. I think tradition and philosophy has a lot to do with it. We don't have that happening on anything that resembles a regular basis at all. But that's where I would start. I would say, so Favor Greenville, we, we have a tagline where you don't even have to want to quit to come in here. Right. You don't even have to want to quit. You can just come in and start the conversation. Think about um, your journey in recovery. I, I'll speak for myself. I tried to moderate over and over again, but I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. I'm convinced that I would have made a decision to get in earlier if I'd have been able to talk to somebody about it, if that makes sense. If I, if I, cause I was never going to raise my hand and say, I'm an alcoholic and go to a meeting. I wasn't going to do that, but, and I didn't even know how to access a therapist or what that would have meant. But, but what if it was common practice where it's okay, come in, let's just talk about this set up some ground rules for yourself. If you can stick to your ground rules, you're good to go. If you can't, then maybe, maybe we should talk about abstinence. Maybe we shouldn't. I mean, it's not hard. It's just culturally impossible, impossible. It's not operationally impossible. It's a cultural issue. I love that, man. And and I I do a lot of that in in my clinical practice because I meet people where they are all the time. And I have people that don't, you know, they don't meet criteria for, for, you know, even, a moderate substance use disorder and they'll come and say, Hey, you know, I want to kind of look at this. And I think that's kind of the framework that, that, you know, I suggest for a lot of people that are in the gray area that really want to take an honest look at their drinking, set some parameters, set some boundaries or some limits around your use 
and see if you can do it. And then if you can't, yeah, then we have a you know, conversation. Th- then let's have another conversation. And and I I really think, but but I think w- what you're saying, and and what I think is kind of the the reason and purpose of this podcast and things like this is to, like, how do we how do we inspire or or educate people to the point where they start to you know, have a desire to set those parameters. Well, think about this, though. Think about this. In the age of the pandemic, whenever, if you saw all the statistics where they were saying a 300% increase in alcohol consumption and stuff like that, that's not alcoholics that increased. That's your everyday drinker. Do you follow yeah. me? So, like, alcoholics, we we don't need a pandemic to get hammered. Right. Do you follow what I'm saying? It, was, it wasn't like, I'm going to increase. Like, I was increasing my my drinking regardless of whether the world was going to end but if i'm like a casual drinker that's what you saw you see we saw the we saw the response to stress right the other angle or the other recommendation and this is what we're hammering on really really hard is stress management so if you think about it this way if you think about stress management in general how does it how does stress get to us well we we develop coping skills that aren't healthy right it could be it could be being on the internet chasing a conspiracy theory for 12 hours a day. It could be gambling. It could be, it could be like me pounding seven Krispy Kreme donuts in the break room for some <laughs> ungodly reason. Or it could be, it could be taking your drinking from a couple drinks a night to seven, right? We, we can talk about the cookies or we can talk about the beers, but, but it's all under the same umbrella. I just want to keep backing up the conversation farther and farther back because it just seems like even now we are talking to folks who have increased their drinking throughout the pandemic and they are saying, you know, there's there's something weird going on. I'm drinking three now and I used to not drink any at night and, and we're talking to those folks and those folks are willing and open and I just want to keep backing it up to what if they never really even had to experience that increase or worry about their drinking? What if there was way more education, more, way more conversation in that wellness realm early on? Like we talk about removing carbs and increasing kale and doing all these other things health-wise and no one ever goes. That's the way to go. Yeah. Right? Like it's the new green juice, right? Like just. That's the way to go. No doubt. And Rich, like, I, I don't know what, I mean, you put out so much good content. I mean, it's almost like, I don't even believe you're writing the shit half the time, but you talked about one of the, one of the best approaches to this is to, is to crowd out those unhealthy coping skills with more healthy ones. Yeah. And, and like, what are, what are some of the, what are some of the things that you know you you would suggest to our listeners that you know are only having a couple drinks at night but want to take a look at it or like what what are some of those new healthy you know healthy behaviors that they could bring in to maybe crowd some of that drinking out it's all the stuff that we were just talking about it's literally like how are you eating i'll I'll give you an example so um i'm going through some stuff with my with my daughter and she wouldn't mind me talking about this she's on her own journey you know the apple doesn't fall far from the tree she's only 22 years old and um and she's doing really really well but it's a it's a process man and it's a and it's this it's and i just you know i'm helping her along the way but that twists me up it gets me really really anxious it gets me really really nervous i'm probably codependent or whatever other labels you want to put on me but here's what's interesting i also here's my diet here's what i ate yesterday a pop tart and an energy drink in the morning nothing at all during the day. Like I just go to work and just start answering questions. Hey, this, hey, that, hey, this, hey, that. And then in the way home, I eat another Pop-Tart and an energy drink, okay? And, and then I come home and I eat whatever my wife made. And, and I'm like, and my wife, and my wife is a absolute like nutritional, like guru. Like that's just, our kids eat super healthy and stuff. And she's like, before you diagnose yourself with an anxiety disorder or depression you might want to change like, the fact that you, she's like pop tarts are literally the worst thing that you could possibly eat and she's like, might as well eat the box i might as well eat the box and drink and, and chuck and chase it with like kerosene and uh but so my point with that is is that it, it, it's even beyond like substance use it's also in the mental health world if you take like a holistic look at it i think there's two things that happen 
One is it's more realistic. You actually get a baseline idea of what you're dealing with. And two, it's less threatening. Yeah. It, it doesn't involve me labeling Patrick with an alcohol use disorder or with, or with some kind of like thing. It's just, hey, I might not be doing good with this health-oriented lifestyle, but at least I'm trying. That type of mentality I, I love that. And it, and that makes me think of, you know, earlier when you were talking about your own experience and saying, you know, early on in your drinking, you know, there wasn't somebody you could go to and say, hey, I'm looking to kind of, you know, rework this and, and take a look at it because you knew what the response was going to be. If you go to someone for help with alcohol, they're going to, you know, at least traditionally, they're going to tell you you need treatment or rehab or abstinence. Yeah. That's the automatic knee jerk reaction. Where now, you know, like you're saying, the goal is to have some options, mm -hmm. have some places yeah. to go to talk about this rather than know that you're going to, you know, get that reaction that you've got a problem automatically. I've got one last question for you because I think our listeners would love, you know, this, this kind of frame of, of thinking. What would be three questions you would encourage gray area drinkers to ask themselves? I, I, the, the first question that I would say is, how do I, I would focus on the physical part of it. So ask yourself, like, how are you feeling just in general? How are you feeling physically? And do you think that your consumption of alcohol may have anything to do with that? I know that if there's any area where it can get real tangible, you're probably going to feel better immediately if you adjust your drinking. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the, the second area, and I think that this is this sounds a little bit like DSM criteria stuff, but I think this is huge, man. How is it impacting your interpersonal relationships? I do think there's something to, to that part of it, right? Like, and that doesn't mean that you're an alcoholic. It's like if, if my wife doesn't like heavy metal music and I'm blasting it every night, yeah. you know, and it's causing problems in our relationship, maybe I want to take a look at that. Right. So, so how is it treating? And then, I think there's like an open-ended kind of self-awareness question of like, why do I need this in my life or why not talk about it? I guess would be a better way of saying yeah. it. Like, what's the downside to exploring this issue? I could answer that back in the day, the downside for me, if, if, if we would have met would have been, if I talk about this, I got to quit. Yeah. You follow me? Like if I talk about alcohol, I got to quit. Well, what if you tell yourself I don't have to quit? period. I don't have to change anything. Am I still allowed to talk about it? So those type of things. It's awesome. I love that, man. It's so good. I love that. Well, hey, man, thanks again for, for being here and having this talk with us. I, I'm glad to be around like-minded people. Yeah, you did not disappoint today. And uh, for all our listeners out there, check out Favor Greenville, Rich Jones, he puts out all kinds of cool health and wellness stuff out on his uh, Facebook, Instagram. Check out U-Turn. Can't wait to have you back, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, Rich. We just got to talk to Rich Jones. I'm so glad he was on. Um, that's a lot of information and a lot of different dimensions to look at this situation from or topic from. And like, you know, Robbie and I coming from the more, you know, we started drinking when we were really young, got, got, got really ugly and then came to an abrupt stop. I'm thinking of this like, Sam, what are some of the, you know, some of the first things that hit you when you started to think about your alcohol use like how did that like how did that come about for yeah. you yeah well not in a fun way I think primarily and most noticeably it was my physical health or the way that I was feeling physically so if I was getting up to go to yoga in the morning and I still felt like crap from drinking not last night but the night before that just really bothered me that I was allowing something like that to then dictate what my Monday looked like mm -hmm. and really started to explore like, what would it look like if I wasn't drinking on Saturday? How would I feel today? And this was also in the stage of my uh, last year of college where I was like career planning, thinking about grad school, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of talk and a lot of emphasis on goals. What do you want? What do you want to kind of manifest and all those different things? And I just started to look at what was getting in my way 
and there was some pretty obvious things, but one of them was alcohol. I'm like, I feel like crap a couple of days, still a couple of days after I go out. And why do I keep doing that? And oh, by the way, also every argument ever that I have with my significant other, alcohol is involved in that scenario. Now, did I connect at that point that alcohol had some kind of causation? (laughs) No, but I could, I could at least acknowledge that Hmm. most of the negative situations in my life had alcohol in or around them. Yeah. There were times where I would just try to have one or two drinks, but I would actually have this like preemptive anxiety while I was drinking on a night out that I was going to feel sick tomorrow. Mm. And that started to pull it all the way back to where even having one drink wasn't enjoyable anymore. And I kept doing it for months after that. When I started getting into the classes that I was taking in kind of this field and working in substance abuse, when I heard the the phrase continued use despite negative consequences, I was like, oh, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> and... But that challenged me to take a look at it. Why do I keep drinking when it makes me feel like crap, when it makes me argue with Chris, when it makes me, you know, all those different things. And there wasn't that much value attached to it for me. I didn't actually have a ton of fun when I would go out. I didn't actually enjoy drinking. I didn't really ever have great nights when I was drinking. Sounds awful. I realized that it didn't make sense way before I was ever really able to kind of change that behavior. Right. Because it still was so much easier to go out and drink with everyone than it was to say, oh, I'm not drinking. That is at the root of what we're talking about. I mean, we can sit here and and analyze this to the core. Yeah. But the, the, the awareness piece, the intention, the action, but a lot of it, I mean, it really does boil down to... Do you want to be? Are, do you want to be different? Mm-hmm. Are you happy with what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, are you even in touch with what's going on? Mm-hmm. Are you able to assess, you know, the goods and bads in your life and and increase and decrease as you see fit? Like, I never was able to do that, mm-hmm. I, and I wasn't even in that place to do it. Like, and I think therein lies the issue with a lot of our our audience probably is. You know, life is just, we're just going on through life. And, yep. and, and, you know, to tell me to to be more aware and to look deeper and all that kind of stuff, like, I, I hope, I know that's hard. Yeah. You know, it's a hard thing to do if you're a drinker or if you're not a drinker. it's Those are hard actions to take. And, you know, that's just kind of the message we're trying to send here is is they're necessary. You yeah, know, like it's, it's... Just evaluate it. Just you take know? a look. Yeah. Just take a look. I mean, to me at that point, I cared so much more about taking early classes like I had an 8 a.m. and a 9 a.m. and getting done with those so I could go to the beach all day, go to yoga, hang out with my friends, like do all the other things I really wanted to do in college. And drinking wasn't really one of them. But y'all, that was not popular. Like there's nothing cool about being like, I don't really enjoy drinking, (laughs) you know? And, and so there was pushback and there were a lot of weird conversations. And so there was a lot of what I received a lot as a younger woman, which was like, you're so mature for your age. You're like 40, you know, like you're too old already. You're skipping a stage of life. Like you're too wise. You're too whatever. And it didn't change the fact that it just made more sense for me because it just allowed me to do more of the things that I really loved and feel more like myself at the time. But I think that's important to reevaluate across time. And you guys know I drink now moderately, right? So it, it's not that that had to last forever. It wasn't this commitment to quit. It was just in the moment, it didn't make sense for me. And I reevaluated that and it lasted for about two years where I just didn't drink. Yeah. When that equation shifted and it made sense again and it didn't make me feel sick and it didn't make me anxious and I could have one glass of wine and I enjoyed having a glass of wine. That was the biggest difference for me yeah. is when I enjoyed it, it was worth it because I wasn't drinking to the point where I didn't feel well or I wasn't drinking despite not feeling well. I was drinking because I enjoyed it. I wanted to and I wasn't using it for any other reason than mm-hmm. I wanted a glass of wine. And that just wasn't the case early on, which is why it was removed. This is such like a personal inner journey that that we have to go on. And this is where I'd feel like I don't differ from, you know, our gray area drinkers. And something that it it really took all these, for me, it took all these negative consequences to occur in my life for me to get to this point to just take a look at (laughs) 
yeah. what was really going on inside, yeah. you know? Um, and that's why I'm so excited about not only doing this podcast, but this whole like health and wellness movement is it's opening the door and making it more accessible and more kind of, you know, in your face, like, hey, why don't you take a look at this? What's this about? That, for a lot of people, may be all it takes, yeah. you know, because, you know, the alcohol is so ingrained in our culture. It's th- th- that question never really arises. Like, well, why are you doing this? Yeah. Well, you as the listener deserve for someone to present this conversation to you and for someone to say, hey, what's what's with your drinking? Like, mm-hmm. what's that about? And just have the opportunity to have that conversation without pressure. Yeah, yeah. no, no, judge, no judgment, no expectations. The way that I like to approach it is like, <laughs> what would be some questions that you would ask yourself about your yeah. drinking? Like, we don't even have to come with, with a pre, you know, a preset... Mm-hmm. set of questions leave that up to you know it's yeah. figure it out for yourself but t- just look at it yeah. and it's not you about know? following our journeys my story is my own it's just about evaluating how do, how do I get what I want is this compatible with the things that I want is this compatible with the wellness goals I have the physical health goals and just asking those questions mm-hmm. I just think it's cool to be able to come together and ask some of that to each other, present some of those personal journeys to others and hope that other folks are just able to question. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit samsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969. Or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.